Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son sit down and talk about things from fantasy literature. I'm the son in that equation, Zach. And that makes me the father, Jim. Great to have you with us to listen to another one of our recordings. Woo! I know I always do this at the end of the show, but just to mix it up for once, I want to throw it in right at the beginning. Thank you. (laughs) I want to say thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. Mm. We deeply appreciate your support and encouragement and the financial support. I mean, it's really appreciated how you help offset the costs involved in producing and hosting this podcast. We really enjoy the interactions we have with our patrons, especially when they can join us live in a recording. It's awesome. Absolutely. You know, you're always welcome here. If any of you listeners would like to explore becoming a patron and all the benefits that entails, look for our Patreon link in the show notes or just search for Fantasy for the Ages at patreon.com. Okay, that self-promoting commercial is over now. (laughs) How are you doing today, Zach? I'm doing okay. I mean, we'll see how it goes as the day goes on. I just got my second dose of a vaccine. Yay! I know you got yours a couple days ago. I did. I did. This household is now fully vaccinated. We have to run our two-week course, you know, but... But... We've we've got all the drugs in us we're supposed to have. We've all been stabbed twice. There's somebody out there going, what do you mean you got all the drugs in you you're (laughs) supposed to have? That can't be possible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. okay speaking of drugs alcohol is a drug no it's a poison actually but it acts on your body like a drug no he has taken more medical coursework than i have there's just it's very minor distinctions of how things actually work but technically speaking the chemical interactions of drugs are a little different too deep so we're not doing drugs we are doing poison very good. What are you drinking today, Zach? Uh, just a Rodler. I discovered I really enjoy them while I was over in Austria at one point. So I found a place that actually has Stiegel imported. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Some people listening have no idea what you're talking about. Can you explain just a little more what, what um, the world that is? So it's loosely, and I'm going to butcher what I'm correct on this, beer and lemonade mixed together in a form. Beer and aid. Yeah, to make a simpler, flavorful, and lower alcohol content beer. Okay. So you found it in Europe? Yes. And I'm drinking something today that also harkens back to Europe. Ooh. It's called the Black Death. Oh, that's less happy. <laughs> I was all ready, and you shot me down. <laughs> but it is a great drink. I put it up with the recipe and our uh, photo on Instagram, so you can see if you want to try it out. It's tasty. It's got a bunch of alcohol and some cranberry juice, and it looks dark. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to actually mess with you drinking it in a moment, but it reminds me of the coloration of the like pustuous spoils that the Black Death did actually well, cause. Fascinating. I'm just hoping it doesn't stain my teeth that color. I have a business meeting tomorrow. Oops. <laughs> All right. I have a research note. Oh. Yeah. You know, last week we uh, had a word that came up in our podcast. You a really number liked of using times. it. Amiable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a real word. Many people enjoy using it. You questioned my pronunciation, and I said, hey, look it up. But then I waffled, and I said, but, you know, the way you think it is might also be correct. Well, I looked it up, and the dictionary said, I'm right, you're wrong. That's totally fine. That's the way it goes. Mic drop. 
Unfortunately, I do have to tell you, most of the way that I pronounce words usually come from hearing you growing up. <laughs> so once upon a time, you used to say this word incorrectly. Oh, I don't know about that. There's but now plenty you say of words that I have said incorrectly in the past, but I don't know about this one. Well, shall we amiably continue our podcast? Only if you don't use that word for the next five minutes incessantly. I cannot guarantee that. I, I, I have can't no control issue, what comes out of my no mouth. No issue with the word. It just, you know, it gets a little hackneyed. Well, we picked up a whole bunch of new listeners this Ooh, past week. I love that. When we dropped our midweek special on the Dune Saga. Mm. Apparently there are fans of Dune out there. I don't know why, but... For... I, I know why. It's <laughs> friggin' awesome. I'm not sure if they'll be sticking around for all of our regular Wheel of Time content here, but I hope so, because there is a lot of crossover. And I've talked about that on Twitter this past week a little bit. Yeah, I think we talked off podcast a little more in depth about how often things just cross over. Yeah, pretty sure Robert Jordan liked Dune. There's characters and plot themes that are awful similar to what you can find in Dune. And not that he was plagiarizing or ripping off, just I think it inspired him and some of his thinking when he was writing mm -hmm. later on. So then he improved upon. I won't even <laughs> argue that. I do put Wheel of Time up above Dune. I will. No problem. Speaking of Wheel of Time. It's time to do some more content. Let's get into it. We took a big chunk out of The Great Hunt last time. Now we're going to move into Chapter 6 and continue on through Chapter 9. An even bigger... No, it's not actually a bigger chunk. It's about the same minus a prologue. No, it, it's definitely a little smaller because, wow, that was a lot last time. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, but it was a lot. Chapter 6 is called Dark Prophecy. That's not ominous at all. No. And it starts with a look into Rand's dream. He's actually having a nightmare, putting no, on happens. Yeah, a full display of all the things that he's freaking out about these days. And he does have some legit, legitimate things to be afraid of. Yeah. Particularly, where is he right now while he's sleeping? He's still hiding away in Egwene's room, right. right next to all the Aes Sedai that potentially exactly. want to capture and gentle him. It's certainly one of his biggest fears. He jumps awake out of this nightmare, and he sees he's not alone. But it's not Egwene, it's Nynaeve. Nynaeve is just sitting there in a rocking chair, knitting away. There's one little lamp lit, because it is dark outside mm -hmm. now. Egwene had let Rand into her room. Nynaeve knows all about that. Egwene had explained it to Nynaeve, and Nynaeve is all on board. She's like, yep, we, we both know you can channel. We will protect you from the Aes Sedai. Which is good, because it could have gone one of two ways. Nynaeve could have come down real hard on Rand for breaking being proper. Uh, there's a word there. But he didn't I don't break any protocol the... here. He no. was invited into the apartments just, by Egwene. A man coming and sleeping in the woman's apartments. Kind of sketch. It is allowed. Technically. Yes. But, no, Nynaeve's more on uh, Team Two Rivers, so we're good. Mm -hmm. Rand asks after Egwene, because since she's not there, you know, where is she? And Nynaeve shares she's gone back down to visit Patton Fane again. Because that never does anything bad. Egwene is still convinced she can help Fane. Yeah, but she clearly saw when Rand and she were just there that he's not actually better. But I think in her mind, that was uh, an off moment, an outlier, because she had not seen Fane doing anything like that with all of her multiple visits. And she's really focused on trying to heal him in some way, which, of course, Nynaeve approves of mm -hmm. because that's what she was all about is wisdom. Yeah, she was the healer. And she was even training, starting to train Egwene as her apprentice. So yeah, you go girl, try to help people, make them better, heal them. But Rand, he sees on the same side you were. 
that dude there is, is off. no rehabilitating. <laughs> you should not be down there. <laughs> Rand changes topic then. It's like, all right, so she's down visiting Fane again. Uh, bad idea, but... So, Nynaeve, tell me, how's the search going? Are people looking for me? What do you know? Well, Nynaeve's not really sure. I mean, a serving maid came and... Well, Nynaeve sent her away before she could come in, before she could see yeah, Rand. Yeah, had this lame story. It was here to turn down Lady Egwene's bed. It's yeah. Like, Nynaeve away. basically put on the do not disturb sign. <laughs> so they're all good. But there have been a surprising number of women wandering the halls. Yeah, Nynaeve had gone out to get a drink earlier. Just milk, not booze. But she went out to get a drink and she saw women all over the place, serving women. Even Lady Amalisa coming out of a storeroom all covered in dust. It's like everybody's out searching for stuff, for something. She doesn't know anything about them looking for Rand. But they are clearly looking. She even says, she asked some of the men what's going on. And they were like, we have no idea. All we know is the stuff that women are supposed to be doing. They're not doing and we're doing it now. That's women's business. <laughs> Rand states, as soon as the gates are open, I'm out of here. Somewhere I said I will never be able to find me. Nynaeve doesn't think that maybe going to work. You know, she gets a nice voice of reason moment and goes, yo, Rand, nope. Yeah, remember, you're Taviran. So even if you try to run away, the pattern's probably not done with you. That's kind of what Moraine has said, and she probably has a good idea. I mean, the Dark One is still out there, and Rand's like, hey, Shaitan is dead. And then, lurch, there he, <sighs> he gets hit by this wave of feeling again. Now, we get from the impression of, of Nynaeve seeing this, that it's just something that Rand feels when he says this. It's not literally the room lurches. No, the Nynaeve whole world's doesn't not get, shaking. Not, it's not like She's a Star Trek on a ship moment where everybody flips to the left. It's not like no. that. It's more... I mean, I think we talked about how he who must not be named, Voldemort, had yes. that hex on his name, and he, he literally could see where people were when they said his name. It's a very similar thing. Yeah, It's personal, individualized. So Nynaeve could see, as she's looking at Rand's face, that he got hit by something when he said that. And she's like, quit being an idiot, you fool. Don't say his name. Yeah, so Rand concedes, but he says... But, you know, at least Baalzaman is dead. Okay, fine. We'll use that name. I saw him die. I saw him burn. Really? He saw him burn. He believes he saw him die. We're pretty sure we've already seen him in this book. (laughs) So, mm, Rand may have some learning to do on that one. As Nynaeve continues to read him his rights for being such a fool-headed sheep herder, Mm. bells start ringing all over the keep. Like ring-a-ding-ding? No, like... I don't know. Uh, it's a big alarm, clearly. Not just, dinner's ready. No, nah, it's the massive warning bell tower. Yeah, kind of and Rand, he jumps to his feet. He's sure the gig is up. They, they're they coming for... The jig is up. There we go. The gig is up? What the heck? <laughs> He's no longer getting paid He's... for his work. <laughs> <laughs> the jig is up. They're coming for him. But Nynaeve's like, again, fool, stop it. There's no reason to believe this alarm is about you. Rand goes to the window, which isn't really like a big window. This is a keep you mentioned more for like, defense, so it's an arrow slit. Yeah, but okay. you can still see out of it. Yeah, and he sees lots of lights, you know, running around, people carrying, you know, lights all over the courtyard and stuff, but nothing happening outside the keep walls. So whatever's going on, it's, it's happening inside. here in the keep. That turns his thoughts to Egwene. What if the alarm is about Pat and Fane? What if he broke free? What if there is something happening down in the dungeon now and Egwene's in danger? 
He's instantly consumed by the need to run to the dungeon to rescue her from harm. Here, I come to save the day. Nynaeve tries to stop him. As she should. I mean, he'll get caught if he goes running off. His only protection is that he stayed hidden. She's also like, and Egwene will be fine. She went to get Matt and Perrin to go with her. She wasn't going by herself. Oh, great. So Egwene, Matt, and Perrin are all in danger. Awesome. Well, and Rand knows Egwene. It's like, sure, she went to get them, but what if she didn't find them? It's not like she would have changed her mind. She would have just gone by herself anyways. Yeah. So she may be in trouble, and he needs to help. So pulling away, he whips the door open, runs out in the hall, and it's full of women. Because they're all like, what's going on with the alarm? What is this? <laughs> the first one who sees him just screams, because here's this man running into the hall, and he's holding his sword. Yeah. Now, it's not pulled out. It's not like he's about to hack somebody. It's still in its sheath. But he's carrying a sword, and men don't come into the women's apartments with weapons no. at all. They usually don't really come in unless they're invited, and even if they do, they can't bring weapons. So now they see a man with a sword, and let's make it better, he takes off running down the hall. (laughs) (sighs) The chaos just grows, people are screaming, women are clutching their children, and then he runs into the area where the Aes Sedai are staying, and some of them have stepped out in the hall. They start questioning him, what's going on? Is there danger? What do you know? And then it dawns on them, wait a second. This is that Southland Lord everyone's talking about. This is one of the ones that came with Moraine. Stop him! But he just keeps it running. They mm-hmm. don't even have a chance until he runs practically into the Merlin seat. Which I imagine he really didn't much see her initially because she's short. He's hmm. not. He's going fast. But there is a moment described where he kind of pulls up short before he does smack runner over. They make eye contact. And he sees recognition in her eyes, and she backs away, like in a moment of hesitation and fear. This possibly most powerful, at least most politically powerful woman in the world, as far as he is concerned, is scared. At least... And this tells Rand... A moment. Very quickly, she knows. She knows he can channel. But he can't really do anything about that. Nope. He's kind of ticked at Moraine, because that means she told her, but he's just got to go. So he runs on out of the apartments. Now he's out into the main areas of the keep and there are men running everywhere, swords in hand. He hears shouts, screams, even sounds of battle, he realizes, from inside the keep. And just when it dawns on him that some of that sound is literally swords, those are swords clashing, three Trollocs come running around the corner right in front of him. They see him and they're like, oh, goody. They snarl and they charge for him. Fresh meat. Yeah, and Rand, he's caught by surprise, but hey, he happens to have a sword. And he happens to have spent the last, I don't know, good month working and working right. and working with that sword. So elegantly and smoothly, he swings the sword out of its sheath and takes all three heads off in one swoop. Well, Yeah, not even close. He manages to pull the sword out. He tries one of the four moves Land taught him. But being surprised, he wasn't well balanced, he does it poorly, the front trollic dodges easily, and they probably would have had Ran for dinner, momentarily. At the very least, though, he didn't chop off his own foot. No, no, and that was a big goal Lan had in training him. Exactly. But nothing worse happens, because suddenly a bunch of Shinaran soldiers show up and engage the trollocs. Uh... For those listening, you can't see when we have things written down, but the word Shannaran is written down, but it's spelt like Shannara from the Shannara Chronicles. <laughs> so it is. Not Shannarans as in Terry the Wheel of Brooks Time. has apparently paid off autocorrect. 
That's great. <laughs> uh, uh, which is a great moment to plug that our next episode is going to be a midweek special covering the magic system from the Shannarin series. You know, Sword of Shannara, Elfstones of Shannara, Wish Song of Shannara, all those Shannara books by Terry Brooks. So there you but go. That, getting uh, a teaser right there. That tangent aside... Rand gets free because the Shinarans are now taking care of the Trollocs. Yeah, they kill one right off the bat um, and they attack the other two. And he runs on still going, Egwene, Egwene, I gotta get to Egwene. Yep, so he's heading deeper into the keep. He knows where to go because he's been to the dungeons before with Egwene. As he gets farther in, he doesn't see any other people, well, anyone else alive. He comes across an occasional dead Trolloc and a dead man. But eventually he makes it to a spot where he does find a battle happening. Well, sort of happening. Finishing. Yes, a Mirdral is there, as are six dead Shinaran soldiers, and a seventh one dying as the Fade is twisting the sword and pulls it free, and the guy just drops to the ground. Great, one Mirdral, and it took out seven soldiers. Rand, you're screwed. And the Miradrill clearly is facing the way Rand had run from because it sees him as it pulls the sword free. It smiles and slowly heads his way. Frozen in place under the gaze of the Miradrill. We've talked about the, the... The fear gaze. Yeah, that eyeless look. Rand, he can't move, but he does raise his sword. Now it's shaking. His hand is all shaky. And then Ingtar appears. Remember Ingtar? Yeah. Yes. Welcome back, bud. He steps past Rand, saying, This one is mine, Rand. Try yourself on a trollic or two before you face one of these things. And he sends Rand off to continue with his own journey to find Egwene. Apparently, Ingtar is more confident than any of the seven dead guys or Rand. So, And perhaps had reason, because the Myrdral was smiling until it saw Ingtar, and it actually stopped smiling, so Ingtar must have a reputation. He's at least not bad. Arriving at the door of the dungeons, Rand finds it's partly open. That's not good. No, see, both the outer door and inner door were supposed to be closed and locked. Yes. So this indicates something's wrong. He throws himself into the room, ready to face whoever he finds. Uh, he doesn't find anyone. No, but he's, he's not ready for what he does No, find. not at all. <laughs> On the table, he finds the guards. Well... Their heads, uh huh, not the bodies, right propped there. up in pools of blood. And Rand, well, he vomits right away. This is disgusting. Yeah. As he's recovering, he looks around the room and he, oh, there's the rest of them. There's body chunks flung all over the room, some of them with chew marks. It's like the heads were very quickly removed, set as a statement, and then the bodies were just. And clearly, Trollocs have been having their fun. He's thankful to note he doesn't recognize the guards because somehow, you know, he feels like that would be worse. Mm -hmm. If these were ones I'd met, soldiers I knew, you know, if it had been Ragan or Masima, well, maybe Masima. <laughs> but it, the, a lot of the guards he's familiar with, okay, these he doesn't know. So, okay, at least that's, that's something. We get some red shirts dead. Yeah, there you go. But he does see around the room something rather grisly. Mm. there's Trolloc script and words in blood all over the walls. Trolloc script, he can't read. No. But he's seen it before, so he recognizes that's Trolloc writing. But some of it is regular common language. And it's all obscenities and blasphemy, and it's just horrible stuff. I love it. 
But he's not here to read walls. He's here to find Egwene. So he heads into the jail area. As he approaches that door, there's something written in blood again, but in a totally different hand. And he's shocked at what it says. Well, I would be too if I were him. It says, we will meet again on Toman Head. It is never over, Althor. Oh boy. He got name dropped. Mm-hmm. Numbly, he drops his sword. Then he's like, ah, and he grabs some straw off the ground and starts swiping and wiping against that message. He wants that gone, gone, gone. He doesn't want anyone to see it. Realistically, he should be focusing on the Althor part. Just get rid of that and you're and maybe okay. that is what he did first. But he's just kind of smeared it all up when he hears a voice behind him. A woman has come into the room and asks, what are you doing? And he turns around and sees an Aes Sedai, and even better, Red Aja. Great. So he pretends he was just disgusted by the filthy things, vile words, just trying to make them go away. She demands that everything be left as it is, and then steps forward, recognizing him. He's one of the boys that came with Moraine. She asks what he has to do with all of this. I have a minor question here. Rand's been hiding... How does she recognize him as one of the boys with Moraine? I believe she has descriptions. Oh, fair enough. I mean, he also is definitely not looking like a Shinaran. No. So he, uh, he's just, I've got nothing to do with what's going on here. I just came down to check on Egu- And then he realizes, wait, Egwene's still. So he turns and runs through she? the door into she? the cell. But the Aes Sedai is like, stop, come back here. I'm not done talking with you. And, uh answer me boy and yeah he suddenly is trapped in place yeah she really didn't want to let him go and wants to talk to him so he feels bands of air totally wrapping around him and squeezing and again she repeats answer me boy now and he's a stubborn woolhead he's not saying anything oh, yeah, he's a two rivers folk he's not gonna give Plus, in with just a little bit of pain he doesn't really want to talk with a red eyes to die either not at all and she just uses the power to squeeze him harder and harder. It's really starting to hurt. Like she's trying to injure him, force him to talk, torture him into speaking. It's like, is that really necessary? That's your first thing you tried? And when it gets just about as much as he can possibly take, he thinks he's perhaps going to die. Moraine shows up. Woo! She happens to walk into the dungeon, sees what's going on, and basically questions it. You know, what are you doing? And Rand is suddenly free. Oh, yeah. At this point, we get verbal confirmation that it's not only a red, and I said I... It's one we've met. Yeah, it's one we've met that we have Moraine's thoughts of being terrible. It's Leandrin. Yeah, Rand hadn't met her, and this was a Rand POV chapter, which is why we didn't get the name right off the bat. But here's some of our proof. Leandrin is terrible. Yeah. Remember what we saw her do to Lady Amalisa? Now we see her basically torturing Rand to get information. There's something is sus. Robert Jordan is doing everything he can to tell us hate this woman. She bad. Meantime, Rand, he continues on into the cells. The two Aes Sedai are just going at it. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why aren't you up at the fight? Why aren't you up at the fight? (laughs) Whatever. And he gets down into the cells and he sees the one guy, you know, there was those two prisoners who were down there. One of them is giving his last twitch, having hung himself right there on the bar doors of his cell. Another one is wide-eyed, looking basically like he, he snapped, lost sanity, and mm-hmm. he's trying to scratch his way through the solid rock at the back of his cell to get away. 
whatever happened was enough to basically instantly drive these prisoners mad. Mm-hmm. He makes it down to the end of the cells where Pat and Fane's place is. The cell door is open. Fane is gone. But Egwene and Matt are there, sprawled unconscious on the ground. But they're not dead. Well, he's not sure at first, but he, he does he reach checks. down to check. And yes, he checks. They're, they're not, not dead. dead. That's the good. The eyes that die follow him in then. Moraine, she heals Egwene, but Egwene doesn't wake up. And Moraine says, she'll be fine now. She just needs rest. Mm-hmm. Matt, he's a different matter. She checks him, sees the dagger is gone. That's really, really, really bad. That is a big problem. If you remember from our last episode, they were going to be healing him to separate him from that dagger, take care of that, before he then, with Moraine's plan, would be heading off to get the horn of Valir to Ilion. Well, now the dagger's gone. And they hadn't done that yet. And he is injured. I mean, he's unconscious. She orders some men to put him on a litter, take him up to the Amerlin Seats quarters. Because while this has been going on, more Shinaran soldiers had showed up, mm-hmm. you know, following in to see what's going on. Maybe Moraine had brought them with, you know, said, follow me kind of thing. Or at the very least, the sight of two Aes Sedai running in that direction was enough to say, hey, maybe we should go there too. Yeah. Now Leandrin's like, what? You're, you're sending this boy to the Amerlin? She doesn't just heal any Joe Schmo. What's your problem? Nah. Moraine, not so kindly, but not harshly, tells her to sit down and shut up. Pretty much. And Leandrin continuing to raise accusations at Rand for what he was doing down here. Yeah, Moraine is completely dismissing all that, too. The two I said I end up leaving. Mm-hmm. Ingtar and more men arrive. They take care of those other two prisoners, the one that's dead now, yeah. the one that's clearly off his rocker. More or less, they're dealing with the bodies and cleaning a little bit. Yeah. Ingtar asks Rand what has happened here, and Rand has no answers, other than, well, Fane has escaped. Rand asks about the Fade that he left Ingtar with. Yeah, because maybe Ingtar got it, but he's at least alive. Ingtar, he's disgusted. He's like, it got away, but but that's pff, that's nothing compared to what's really happened. And he reveals the Horn of Valir has been stolen. Great. The chest and all that it was in. That's clearly what this was about. They came to steal the horn. They even took the pretty box. Ingtar shares it's been discovered that the Trollocs got in by the dog gate, where the guards have been found there with their throats slit. Which means... It was an inside job. Yes. Somebody who they must have known got close and killed them. And that must mean there were or are still dark friends within Faldara. This borderland nation, supposedly a kind of paragon for the light, and even it has dark friends. Rand assumes Lord Agomar must have doubled the guards at the gates now then, and Ingtar says, nope, he's tripled them. Great. I can totally slip out now. And he has now closed the keep. No one leaves without his permission. And Rand's like, wait a second. He has now closed the keep? What about his order earlier closing it? And Ingtar's like... Um, Somebody must have told you wrong. That wasn't a thing. It's just now been closed. Rand knows that isn't true. He went to at least like three different gates. And was told these are closed by order that came to us. Very confusing. All right, returning to the guard room, they find two brown Aes Sedai investigating the carnage. And like they usually would and do, they're taking notes. Yes. Rand is kind of disturbed. I mean, he hears from them, them chit-chatting with each other, and from that he hears one of them is named Varen. But what's really disturbing is how they're talking about the Trolloc writings. These things written in human blood is very interesting. You know, it's like, uh, it's, no, it's horrible. What do you mean interesting? It's an academic curiosity. 
heading up and out of the dungeons then, Rand runs into Lan, who's actually coming for him. And he informs Rand of the following. One, he can go back to his own room. Moraine had all of his things moved back. Yeah, no need to hide now. <laughs> she knew you were there all along anyways. Yeah. The woman of the keep, they're very fascinated with him and <laughs> everything that he's done. Especially running through the women's apartments with a sword. So now Faldara has basically become the two rivers where every woman is trying to be like, hey, I have a daughter of marriable age. Someone who can get him under control. Hmm. I figure he must be an outlander lord and he just needs a strong woman to settle him down. I feel like that's going to be a running theme for Rand. <laughs> and one more really good one. Moraine had Rand exempted from Lord Agomar's order to close the keep. He is now free to leave whenever he'd like. Right now, tomorrow morning, it's up to him. Again, a little weird, but okay, he'll take it. End of chapter. Chapter 7 has an awesome title, Blood Calls Blood. I don't know if you're using awesome correctly, <laughs> but, but I'll go with it. All right. We pick up in the Amerlin Seats chambers... The work of healing Matt just having finished. It took all night with Moraine, Swan, Liana, and Varen Mathwin working together. Even so, there was some... It wasn't quite as successful as they would have liked. To get to that, you know, I want to touch on the fact that you have four strong Aes Sedai all doing this work. Mm -hmm. And they even had an Angrial with them. Moraine so, has that Angrial, so they were uber-charged. There was a stupid amount of power, power in that room. And yet, as you say, it didn't go as they hoped. All they've accomplished is... They gave him a few more months to live. With that dagger gone, he cannot be healed. He can only be given a stay of execution, basically. They've got to find that dagger, or he will eventually die. Moraine has a chilling thought that I thought was worthy of note. With the Horn of Valir gone, Matt isn't really necessary now. Maybe... And she doesn't really let her thoughts go any further there. She has that thought there? She does. Why? Maybe it's along the lines, remember, Matt and Perrin were going to take the Horn to Ilian. And that was yeah, the way they were getting ran. Maybe somewhere. it doesn't matter that Matt and Perrin can't draw him out because the Horn's gone. We won't need them because the horn's already gone. That must be it. Matt's only long-term chance is for the dagger to be recovered before he dies, so that the full healing can be done. But getting it back is a conundrum. I mean, no one can take or carry that dagger without being corrupted by it. Yeah. Lord Agomar is sending men to hunt those who took the horn, and they'll likely find the dagger as well. But what then? Well, there is one person who could retrieve the dagger without more harm. You mean someone's been given special protection from the dagger now? I mean, at the very least, with what they've done to heal him and what the dagger's already done to him, the dagger can't really do anything more to Matt. It makes it essential that Matt goes with Agomar's men. Yeah, Matt needs the dagger now to be able to be healed fully and to live, but he's also the only one who can actually get it. He's the only one, basically, who can protect the world from the dagger being able to do more harm. If anyone else touches it, they're going to have the same kind the of thing happen to him. stuff will start again. That's right. They then also touch on the mystery of Pet and Fane. Now, I, I want to back up just a moment here. Something we didn't say out loud here. There had been the four of them. And when Matt is taken from the room, Liana goes with. Okay, so it's just the three women who are still here talking now. Mm-hmm. And they talk about Pat and Fane. Why is he so important? The Dark Friends and the Shadow Spawn broke in to steal the horn, but they also took time to break out Fane. 
So if he's important to the dark, that means by the same logic he's Moraine used at the beginning of the Eye of the World, if you boys are all important to, to the dark, then you're important to me. Anything the dark wants, I want to stop the dark from getting. Exactly. So they need to get their hands on Pat and Fane again. In the room now, as I said, Amerlin seat, Moraine, Varen. At this point, Swan, the Amerlin seat, asks Varen to uh, keep word of Matt and the dagger to herself. Keep that private. And and would you please excuse us now? I want to have a few words with Moraine, and then I'm going to turn in. It's been a long night. And Varen says, yeah, 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 I won't say anything. And doesn't move. Yeah, but, you know, and she opens her notebook. And, and I want to share something that I found down in the dungeon which turns out to be a prophecy of the shadow. Hmm. Now, the Wheel of Time is loaded with prophecies. Oh yeah, there's tons of them. Some of them are confusing and have multi-interpretations. But they all mean something. And usually, honestly, they're loaded with foreshadowing. A lot of things that on a reread make a lot more sense and really cool. But in world, prophecy tends to come about. I mean, the things prophecy do happen. They don't necessarily happen the way you had thought they were going to happen, but And it may not always mean exactly what's implied. Right. Well, it means it's just you may have inferred what it implied incorrectly. incorrectly. But that applies to prophecies of the shadow as well as prophecies of the light. There's these prophecies written down here. These are basically evil prophecies, but they mean real things too. We're going to cover here what Varen has puzzled out and predicted as meanings. Mm-hmm. But we would suggest to you, our listeners, particularly if you're a first-time reader, bookmark the page where this was on and come back to reread this at the end of the book. And then again, at the end of book four, The Shadow Rising, some of this prophecy is going to make a lot more sense once you finish this book. But again, more of it will be clear after you finish The Shadow Rising. And honestly, some of it will still become much more clear farther in the series. But but if we told you to read it after every book, <laughs> at that point, we'd be telling you read every prophecy up until that point after every book. But my real point here is, again, we're spoiler light. So we're not going to ruin all of the reveals here. I'm going to be really careful. We're just going to stick to what Varen reveals. So, what does she reveal? Well, after she reads it aloud, Amerlin Seat confirms, okay, who else knows this? And yeah, it's only the two brown sisters that were down there. Varen and the other one is Seraphel, mm-hmm. who They're we met earlier. Readers, writers, not much talkers. And Seraphel, she doesn't care about this sort of stuff. If it's not in a book, it doesn't matter to her. So, we don't have to worry about Seraphel. So really, it's just Varen who knows about this. And they cleaned it all up after they wrote it all down. So nobody else can go in, even if they could translate it, to read it. Yeah. So here's what we've got. Daughter of the night, she walks again. It's one of the phrases. And Varen says that has to refer to the forsaken Lanfear, that she must be loose again. Rumor has it she was the most powerful of the Forsaken right next to Ishamael. And although she kept her power hidden, you know, not many people knew she was really that strong. She was was. rather subtle with it. She Um, also had been Luce Theron Telamon's lover before he met Ileana, who he went on to marry. The woman that, if you remember from the prologue of the first book. Ileana! Ileana, where are you? He was shouting, looking for him, and had killed. Oops. Uh, Luke came to the Mountains of Doom, is a phrase, and Varen figures that must refer to Lord Luke of Andor, who was the brother of Tigraine, who vanished up in the Blight. 
As we learned about we, him from Almond Bunt way yeah, back in the island. We had world. heard he like had gone off and disappeared and we didn't know what had happened to him. And we know the mountains of doom actually are up in the blight. We heard about them in our last book. But Varen has no idea who Isum is. That's in the next phrase. Uh, it references someone called Isum. However, Moraine recognizes that name. Absolutely. It's the supposed another lost royal figure, if you will. Mm-hmm. The lost son of Brian. Wife of Lane Mandragoran. Mandragoran. And we heard that story when they were up at the capital of Malkir. The whole fall of Malkir story. Mm-hmm. Isam and Bran disappeared when the Trollocs overran the country. No one ever saw them again. Isam would happen to be Lan's, Lan's cousin. cousin. <laughs> Another phrase. The watchers wait on Toman Head. Varen says that probably refers to the people who once lived in anticipation that Arthur Hawkwing's armies that he sent over the Earth Ocean mm-hmm. would return, and they watched for them. But most of those people are gone now. The only community descended from those people remaining is on Toman Head, the city of Falme. Yeah, now there's like this weird little cult city in it, just like it still watches or something. And there's a reference in the prophecy to the seed of the hammer. And that could be tied to one of the old names of Arthur Hawkwing, who was nicknamed the Hammer. So this might be predicting that the descendants of Hawkwing's armies are indeed returning, and the rumors of war on Almuth Plain and Toman Head are because of this. It's a bit of a jump and moving things around, all these moving pieces, especially from dark prophecies, but Varen seems pretty smart as she's trying to connect things. Well, and she's a brown. She loves knowledge. So she's like digging this stuff. Mm-hmm. And she goes on to talk about some of the other various references. And finally, the Amerlin just loses patience with this and tries to dismiss Varen again. Enough, Varen. Uh, please, I, I want to get some sleep. And Moraine tries to claim that, you know, none of this may be actual prophecy. Just, just a mural with a sly wit trying to screw with our heads. And then Varen casually drops. Oh, yeah. And um, the man who channels has got to be one of the three with you, right? Yeah. There's a reference to the man who channels in what she read. In an instant, both Moraine and Swan have embraced the true source and are ready to do whatever they need to do to Varen. And that absolutely confirms she's right. Yeah. She acts like, no problem. And actually looks very satisfied. Like she had figured a puzzle out. And the puzzle she just figured was, you know, I knew you were involved with this, Moraine, but I I didn't really think you could be doing it alone. And ah, yes, I see now. The Amerlin has been working with you. There's, There's a whole thing of just like, Varen put down a very simple trap, and Moraine and Swain, Swan, wow, Swan, wow, (laughs) just kind of like walked in, ran in headfirst. And Varen mentions, you know, obviously, since the two of you haven't reported this channeler, nor had him gentled, he must be the true dragon reborn, because if you got caught doing this, you'd be stilled, and you wouldn't do that for a false dragon. And I'm very interested to see what's going to happen with the Dragon Reborn, so I have no plans in reporting this either. No, you, They're all like, You guys are fine. Wow. But I know everything. This is so bizarre. <laughs> okay, sit down, Varen, and tell us everything you know, how you figured all this out. We've been really careful. And Varen sits down and says, Well, it all started about 20 years ago. And we kind of fade off, but... <laughs> Moral of the story, Varen knows like everything. We leave this conversation then, jumping over to the POV of Perrin, who's at the infirmary to visit Matt. Uh, Matt is still just laying there in bed, asleep. Perrin has tried to do this before, and he's been run off by a tall Aes Sedai who's been overseeing Matt's care, which we know is Liana. He came back this time, Liana wasn't there, and he went. 
Now I can go see him. Yeah, and he looks at Matt, and Matt seems to be not injured, just looks exhausted, but he smells wrong. It's not something Perrin can really put his finger on. It's just, it's just wrong. wrong. Sitting there, Matt sleeping, Perrin thinks back on the night before. He'd gone out to the gardens to think. Just to think things through. Everything that's I mean, been Perrin's going on. Perrin's a thinker. With them. Yeah. And therefore, when Egwene came to get him and Matt to go to the dungeons, he wasn't there. So he couldn't go with them. He didn't know anything about it. And that led to Matt and Egwene being in the dungeon alone and what happened to them. So he feels kind of guilty. Feels bad. Perrin has a lot of that. Sitting in the dark of the garden, pondering this the night before, you know, his, his pondering and mm-hmm. thinking. He realizes one of the servants had come upon him and. <gasps> Kind of gave a start and sent others to go find Leandrin Sedai. It was weird. It was and really like, what? Why would someone, a servant, just see him and go fetch an Aes Sedai? And then shortly later, alarm bells start going off and everything goes into chaos. And what? But he's concerned about this because this tells him, okay, Leandrin Sedai had people watching for him and she's Red Aja. Why did the Red Aja watch people? I mean, Does Perrin's she... personal experience with Red Aja is little to none. What he can think of is Elias told him some of the Reds wanted to gentle him for his eyes, even though it wouldn't have done anything. Because Perrin has those same eyes. They think this ability had to do with channeling and the one power, and thus need to gentle him. You know, that's what Elias ran into. Yes, so this is what's going through Perrin's head. So Leandrin is trying to find him to deal with him. At this point, though, his thoughts are interrupted. Matt wakes up. Kinda. He's still really out of it. Uh, He doesn't remember much. He doesn't know why he's there exactly. He just remembers having gone down with Egwene to the dungeon to see Fane, and and then... And then that's it. That's it, and then he kind of drifts back off to sleep. And then Lyanna shows back up. Lyanna, the Keeper of the Chronicles. (laughs) She's not happy to see Perrin. No, I mean, (laughs) she's been shooing him away this whole time, and... He got in. And here you are disturbing him. You better not have woken him up. And he's like, no, no, look, he's still asleep. Yeah, because he is. He's my friend. I just wanted to see how he was doing. And she says, after a moment of hesitation, he just needs more rest. Uh, In a few hours, he'll be up. And it'll be like you won't even be able to tell he was ever injured or hurt. Granted, that's a very frustrating sentence. I said I can't lie. Perrin knows that. But there's so much half-given in that sentence mm-hmm. that it could be twisted and turned she so many ways. She doesn't actually say he'll be fine or no. he's healed. No. No. He doesn't, she doesn't even say he will be better. But okay, fine. So he's going to leave. He tries to slip past her and she reaches up. He's taller than she is. She reaches up, grabs his head, hands on either side of his face, tips down and looks right at his golden eyes. And she says... She looks at him and kind of like oh she notes that she's healthy notes he's healthy but if you were born with those eyes i'm a white cloak yeah i mean from a glance at a distance you know maybe you'd think it's like a like a jaundiced thing and then you realize no no it's the irises and oh there's yeah baron responds to that with a very i sedai type answer (laughs) where he says they're the only eyes i ever had it's true. It is absolutely true. I mean, the colors change, but they're still his eyes. I he love that answer. He didn't get anything added in there. <laughs> now we switch to Rand. So another POV change. Rand is back in his room, resting. Not really sleeping. Yeah, but... he's pretty tired because he has not been able to sleep all night long. He keeps getting up thinking, I'm going to leave. And then, uh, no, no, not yet. 
He's worried about Egwene. He's worried about Matt. He really doesn't feel like he can leave with unanswered questions there. Are they going to be okay? Because he feels bad. He's the one who's supposed to be in danger, not them. Well, maybe let's answer some questions. Perrin comes in and Rand starts trying to ask. Yeah, how are they? How's Matt? How's Egwene? And Perrin starts to answer and then he remembers, wait a second, I'm ticked at you. Go find out yourself. You were a beep yesterday, so I, yeah, you want answers, my lord? Go find them. <laughs> uh. Uh, and Rand, he tries to apologize and explain, you know, I, that wasn't really about you guys yesterday. I, I just needed to get away, and I'm sorry. And, well, Perrin's a good guy, and he, they start talking and chatting, and they find out Leandrin was looking for both of them, except they both thought it was just them, and now they're really confused that Leandrin's looking for all of them. Mm-hmm. But then Perrin circles back to what Rand has all said, and, okay, so you didn't mean the things you said yesterday, so when we leave, we'll leave together? And ran back pedals again. He's like, well, no, I, we can't. And, and I can't tell you why. And Perrin storms out of the room, slamming the door. They're your best friends, bud. If you're going to trust somebody, it should be them. It should. But he still isn't. Can't tell him he can channel. Feels it'll change everything. Well, Rand knows his friends are going to be okay now. He so, at least got that out of Perrin. Yeah, maybe he could leave now. As he starts to rise to gather his things, Lan comes walking into the room. Rand's too late. Yep. Better he was a week gone. The Emerlin has summoned him. And you cannot refuse a summons from the Emerlin seat. I mean, you, you probably could, but it'd be a really, 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 really bad idea. It wouldn't work. Lan pulls out some clothes for Rand. Fancy lord-like attire says, put these on. Mm-hmm. And wear your sword. And he coaches him on some specific things to say and ways to act when he's in front of the Emerlin. And Rand's like, Lan, why are you helping me? I mean, you're Moraine's warder. Why are you acting like you're on my side? And Lan tells him, I am on your side. At least a little. Enough to want to help. He cares about Rand. And it's kind of like a a guy thing. You know, we've been working together. I like you. I've been training you. I want you to do well when you're under the power of these women. Mm -hmm. And there's enough of an age gap that... Lan almost gets a kind of paternal connection to these boys here, especially Rand. Yeah. Lan goes on to give a whole bunch of instructions, stuff that mostly makes no sense to Rand. He has no context, and he questions a number of these things, and Lan says, there's just no time. Just do it. Just do it. You can understand later. For now, just be ready to act. About the last thing he does is he pulls out, Lan, he pulls out a fringed golden cord, which he ties around Rand's left arm in a fancy, intricate knot, and then pulls out a pin with the red eagle of Manetherin. Where do you even get that? He says, I had this made for you. And he pins it on, he smiles, that'll make him think. So, so Lan is up to stuff here, too. And he says to Rand, then, there is one rule, among all others, for being a man. Whatever comes... Face it on your feet. Now, are you ready? The Amerlin seat waits. Answer. No, he's not ready, but who cares? He's going anyway. Chapter 8. The Dragon Reborn. Dun-dun-dun! Lan and Rand walk to the Amerlin's quarters. They're welcomed into the apartments. And the women acknowledge, yes, the Amerlin mm-hmm. seat awaits. Their swords track stairs, but it's no It's not supposed to be here, but... But they've been called by the Amerlin. Okay, Go. They arrive at the Amerlin Seat's chambers, and Liana, the Keeper, and two other Aes Sedai are there, a white and a yellow. 
Lyanna looks Rand over with a slight smile, comments on what Lan has brought them, and talks lightheartedly about how if a green sister sees him, she's likely to bond him as a warder before he can take uh, a breath. Even the Aes Sedai are trying to get their fingers into him. Everyone. It's like this is a main character, so we have to make him stupid attractive, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I don't actually have an issue with that. It's just I feel Rand's frustration because that's very frustrating. <laughs> sure. And the concept of a green sister just reaching out and bonding him. Pfft. Unthinkable. Rand, as instructed, responds formally. I am Rand Althor, son of Tam Althor of the Two Rivers, which once was Manetherith. As I've been summoned by the Amerlin seat, Liana Sedai, so do I come. I stand ready. Lyanna is taken aback by his formality and assuredness. Yeah, it's very, um, you sure this guy was a simple sheep herder? I mean, she'd seen Rand before. This isn't how he was acting. But okay, she steps into the chambers, announces him, comes back, takes him in, but not Lan. Says, mm, he's on his own. As he leaves, he hears Lan's voice, clear but soft, just for Rand. Taishara Manetherin. Which we've had, have heard and had translated before. True blood of Manetherin. And it's just, it's its an encouragement. Uh, you go, guy. <laughs> but, you know, calling out for your, your blood. Rand finds three Aes Sedai here as well. Moraine, Varen again, and the Amerlin. He bows and greets, as Lan instructed, and wonders to himself how many are needed to gentle a man. Is this what's about to happen? Because hmm. there's, there's three here. Is that enough? The Amerlin tells him to have a seat, and Rand declines. Again, with a formal phrase, Lan taught him. And Swan is like, Ugh. Really? And looks at Moraine. You've let Lan at him, teaching him warder ways? This is only going to make things harder. And Moraine acknowledges, yes, Lan has been working with the boys, and this one more than the others, as he mm -hmm. also wears a sword. And then, it's great, they do that women thing that ticks men off. They talk about him for a while. Yeah, they don't talk to him. He's right standing there. Hello, still here. They talk about him. And Moraine explains about the sword because Swan questions a Heronmark sword. And Rand learns things about his sword that Moraine now knows and he never heard. Well, not just the sword. He learns things about his dad. It's in how he comes to get this sword, though. And it's that his dad, Tamil Thor, had left the two rivers as a boy and joined the army of Ilion. The first part of that he knew, second part not so much. He served in the White Cloak War and the last two wars with Tyr, and he rose to be a blademaster and second captain of the Companions. Wow. And after the Aiea War, he returned to the two rivers with a wife from Camelin and an infant boy. So let's be real here. This simple farm boy went off, became a soldier, fought in four different wars. Rose very high. Really in ranks, high rank. And then retired. Back to the farm life. Sorry. That's too old for you to know what I'm doing. I know what that is, but I don't, I can't place it. <laughs> Green Acres is the place for me. There we go. Yep. Big successful guy from the city life. Who retires out to the country and just starts a farm. Anyway. Very appropriate. Eventually he had hung on to that sword and Rand got it. When Rand left the two rivers, yep, Tam told him to take it with him. Now the conversation turns back to Rand. The Amerlin tells Rand Ingtar will shortly be leaving after the Horn of Valir. Matt will go with him and she expects Perrin will also. Matt must recover the dagger. Yeah, so Matt has to go. 
Yes, the link between him and it cannot be broken unless that dagger is recovered. Matt will die if he doesn't get that dagger back, so he has to go. Rand say, you know, can. Yeah, you may accompany them if you wish. Or you can stay in Faldara. Or you can go wherever you want. She's revealing the Aes Sedai are all going to leave for Tarvalon later today, and Egwene and Nynaeve will be going along. I'm sorry, where are they going? Tarvalon. You sure? But Rand is being left free to do as he wishes. So he's here afraid he's about to get gentled. They're and saying... They're saying, well, now we're leaving you alone. You can go your own way. And Rand is confident that both Moraine and the Emerlin Seat know that he can channel. Yep. Moraine notes, you don't have to choose now what you're going to do, but if you're going to go with Ingtar and Matt and Perrin, you do have to choose before they leave. Well, Rand immediately chooses. Yeah, he's gone. I mean... I will ride with Ingtar. Yeah, yes. Matt's dying. He and can't abandon his friend. As much as he wanted to abandon his friends to save them... If, when he hears this is the stake still. Yeah, he's going to die anyways. He wants to help. So that's settled. The Amerlin moves on to what she states as important matters. <laughs> confirms that she knows he can channel. Great. She also asks what he knows. Nothing. Rand is speechless here when she just flat out says, I know you can channel, which also means Varen, the third one, must know he can channel too. Because she doesn't look surprised. But he finally gets around to saying, you know, I haven't channeled on purpose. It's not something I want to do. I won't ever do it again. Which she says is very wise, but also very foolish. Because he will continue to channel whether he wants to or not. If you don't learn to control it... It will kill you. Yes. You won't have to worry about going mad. You'll be dead from the power first. But hey, if you learn how to control it, you'll still go mad and probably die. But you know... Eh. Rand responds again with some frustration. You're telling me I have to learn to channel, but you're also telling me I said I can't teach me. And Maureen confirms with that statement you didn't like before. A bird cannot teach a, fly, a fish to fly, nor a fish teach a bird to swim. But then Varen has a comeback to that that I thought you probably would love. Oh, I have to... I'll just reference it for you. Here it goes. I've never liked that phrase. I mean, there are some birds who know how to swim like a fish... And there are fish that can jump out of the water like they're flying. Well, it's not very apt. And they're I just like, Varen, zip it. No, I think Varen <laughs> has a really good point. And I thought you'd like that. That the metaphor does kind of carry over. Even if it's something that is well out of what should be your skill set, there might be some tiny bits of crossover here and there that could explain anyways. Maybe. Now, it's notable that Rand had been pretty frustrated and then Varen went off on her little digression and the women turned to Varen to, oh, come on, Varen, zip it. And when they turned back to Rand, he's all calm again. While they'd looked away, he had sought the void and... Regained peace. Swan is very impressed that just like that, seemingly, he was able to become calm again and asks, did the land teach this too? What is this? And nah, nope. that comes from his dad. Yep. Then Rand asks, so again, now from his calm state, why aren't you simply having me gentled? Well, you're the dragon reborn. Boom! Yeah. You, you not only can channel, you are the dragon reborn. We're all acknowledging we know this. Now, Rand refuses to accept this. And he goes off in a little mini rant about all those false dragons that the tower has controlled as puppets before. And he's, he's blending the information Tom Marilyn and Baalzaman gave him. Mm -hmm. All while kind of questionable in what Rand knows about it, it's all actually valid information and arguments. The Amerlin insists, though, that he's no false dragon. And tells Moraine, tell him what we know. 
Tell him the true story. And so we learn a couple of things. And these these connect with things Rand learned about all through the Eye of the World. Little pieces, so from his perspectives, they just drop right into this. Mm-hmm. First off, we go back 20 years-ish. Yep. The Aeol had come over the Dragon Wall. They came to kill King Laman. Laman? He was so lame, man. Mm. But he had cut down the tree that they had gifted to uh, Kyrian. The final battle of that was just outside the walls of Tarvalon. Thank you. Way back then, Moraine and Swan were both just accepted. Soon to be raised to Aes Sedai, so they'd mm-hmm. been accepted for some time. And that very night, when the last battle ended... they Not, not the last No, battle, but the last course. battle of that <laughs> war. They were up with the Amerlin and Keeper at the time. Her Keeper was Katara Moroso who's very, very old. But she had the foretelling. Yes, something that we have we have seen before. Elida has it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the ability to prophesy. Now, the Koreathon cycle, the prophecies of the dragon, say the dragon will be reborn on the slopes of Dragon Mount, where he died during the breaking of the world. Now, Dragon Mount, if you remember, is just outside of Tarvalon. Mm-hmm. You can see it. Where part of that battle, that last battle, is taking place. And that, well, at the end of the night, as dawn is breaking, Katara Sadai is struck with a foretelling, a very powerful mm-hmm. foretelling. She cries out, he is born again. I feel him. The dragon takes his... First breath on the slope of Dragon Mount. He is coming, he is coming. Light, help us, light, help the world. He lies in the snow and cries like thunder. He burns like the sun. And face plants dead. Actually, Moraine or Swan caught her, but... But she's dead. Yep. It just, bam! And it just took everything she had left. The Amerlins swore them to secrecy and set them to searching for an infant. Because... Okay, he was just born. Find him. But as the war has just ended, there's a lot of children left without parents now. And they they aren't able to find one baby, like Needle Haystack. Couldn't find him. They did come across, however, a story of one soldier who found an infant in the snow on Dragon Mount and took the baby with him. But nobody knew who it was. Yeah. Nobody knew where the person went. Takes a really long time, but eventually it leads Moraine to the two rivers. Yeah, they looked into the prophecies and using more clues that were there, they were able to finally figure out the two rivers. If there had been a soldier from the two rivers who went back home, it would match up with some of the prophecies, particularly talking about of the old blood raised by the old blood. Now, old blood of Menetherin. Okay, mm-hmm. hey, you know. And sure enough, when she gets there, she finds happens to find three boys, all born with within about a week of... Must have been really convenient to have, like, joint birthday parties with the boys. I mean, like, you just, like, they all are born, but you combine the party into those three. So once she finally gets to the two rivers mm-hmm. and to Emmons Field, she finds three boys who happen to have name days all within a week of the final battle there on Dragon Mount. Nice. And one of them happens to be able to channel. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure she found her dragon. 
And she says to Rand, do you think the Trollocs came after you in the two rivers by coincidence? Just because you're Taviran? I mean, that's a good reason, right? No, 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 no. You are the dragon reborn. I guess that's a better reason. Regardless, Rand resists that there's still any need for any of this because Baalzaman is dead. Yeah, he killed him. Swan states that if you believe that, you are a fool. And she's right. There is still a destiny that requires the dragon reborn. The Dark One lives, and he is breaking free. You will face the Dark One. Destiny is dumb. I love your comebacks here. That's great. (laughs) Finally, Rand asks, well, what are you going to do to me? And again, the Amerlin says, nothing. "Nothing." She reveals uh, this isn't out of just the generosity of their heart. Only the three Aes Sedai in the room know who he truly is. And they have to let him go because that's the only way the prophecies will be fulfilled. Yeah, it's like you've got things you need to do. And while we're not ourselves really that okay with you running off and doing whatever, unfortunately, you have to. You must be free, or the Dark One will end up covering the Earth with fire and death. There are other eyes to die who will not see it that way. Yeah. They'll think we need to either gentle you or we need to imprison you until you're needed. Mm-hmm. Just put you in a little box. They don't care about what the prophecies will say. They just know you're a man who can channel that's dangerous, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to let you go. And with that, Rand asks to leave. And the Amberlin says, as you will. And so he gives one last word. Little parting shot. Saying, I will not be used. Was that really necessary? No, but he he sure felt better. As he leaves, the women all look at each other and it's kind of like the tension. (sighs) They question, did we do the right thing? Releasing him to the world. But really, it's all they can do. I can't really think of anything else they could have done. And POV switch. Yep. We jump over to Nynaeve now. Standing in a hallway in the women's apartments, fretting about the storm she feels coming. Worse than she's ever felt. Now, this is something she's always been able to do. As wisdom, she could feel storms coming. But something's wrong now. She feels this massive storm, but... Outside? The weather's beautiful. And this isn't a place where it's normal for the weather to change in five minutes. Yeah, there's clearly no storm coming, but the feeling is still there. It's just, it's different. She can't explain it. There is a storm, but there isn't? We've got a lot of weird vagueness going on in this book so far. We've got people who smell wrong, (laughs) storms that are different... It's just a lot of vague description because that's all they can describe it as. Far down the hallway, she sees Rand leaving the Amerlin's quarters and striding away. She decides whatever this storm is, Rand is probably at the center of it, chases after him. Unfortunately, she isn't able to catch up to him. Her little legs do not keep up with his long ones. That's right. She loses him. Along the way, she runs into Lan, who's actually looking for her. Yay. Her stomach does that little flutter thing. She is clearly smitten with this guy. Mm. But she thinks to herself how silly that is. Because he's a king. He's a warder. All that means, why would he want a woman like her? And on top of it... Yeah, he's bonded to Moraine. That just ticks her off. Moraine has everything she wants. She has Lan. Undying devotion. Complete loyalty. He would die for her. Mm -hmm. And she has nothing. Lan asks to speak with her and says he's glad to have this moment alone with her because he's wanted to talk with her, but whenever he finds her, she's with others. And she says, we've got nothing to talk about. You already told me. Go away. You don't want me. And he kind of repeats again. No, 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 no. It's it's not not that I don't want you. Just like, 
I don't deserve you. I can't have you. I have nothing worthy to give you. And she replies, in any case, a king does not give gifts to village women. And Lan, he loses his temper. Which doesn't happen that often. That's right. With some heat, he's like, woman, I will make you a gift and you will take it if I have to chain it around your neck. And he gives her his signet ring. You know, a king's signet ring mm-hmm. is a symbol of his power, his authority. And he gives it to her. He says, if you show this ring, the ring of Malkieri kings, to any lord in the borderlands. Or any warder for that matter. You will have whatever help you need. And if you ask a warder by showing this, you know, you, you write a message, you seal it with this, give it to a warder, he will get it to me. And if you need me, you send it that way, I will come to you without fail. I swear it. Aww. Yeah. Nynaeve just about tears up. Of course, she's not that kind of woman, so she's not about to let herself do that. <clears throat> no. But basically, he just let her know, I do love you. But now I have to get ready to, to depart. And Here, he leaves. Here's my love. Bye. Yep. Nynaeve turns to leave the other way and sees Moraine right behind her. It's like, oh. Just the woman I wanted to yell at. How long have you been there? And she's like, not long enough to not have heard things I shouldn't have. Which means she heard things she shouldn't have. But she says, but I did hear Lan say it's time to get ready to leave. And he's right. You need to be packing. Shouldn't you head up and get your things? And if you want to say goodbye to the boys, I mean, they're also leaving. You better hurry because we're all going to be leaving about the same time. And she looks out in the courtyard. Everyone is getting ready. Everyone is getting ready. Yep. And Nynaeve is so frustrated that all she really wanted to do coming out here in the first place was take everybody back home. And now none of them are doing that. They're all going different ways. The, the story continues. She is so frustrated with Moraine. And she, she speaks to it. I, I should just take them all now. She's like, surely you wouldn't want to do that now. I mean, and Egwene, she'll never go with you anyways. No, she's, she's going to Tar Valon to train. <laughs> and Moraine twists the knife a little more here. And I, Just like you do? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and and I love this, honestly, about Moraine, where she shows, okay, she might be this all-powerful Isodet, but no, she's, she's a catty woman, too, who loves to push buttons for someone who kind of deserves it. Well, she knows what motivates Nynaeve. She says, surely you won't skip Tarvalin yourself now, would you? How else will you ever learn to use the power against me? And Nynaeve spins to Moraine, jaw-dropping to deny all such thoughts. But of course, she has thought exactly she that multiple times. She wants to do times. exactly that, yeah. It is a driving purpose. She's going to get her revenge on Moraine. Moraine's saying, yeah, I knew it all along, but I don't care. This whole mess, all the manipulating, Moraine leaves and Nynaeve goes, I'll get you one day get you my pretty and your little warder too <laughs> as moraine <laughs> has headed off nynaeve also does she returns to her room the one she shares with Egwene, mm-hmm. and maids are in there just completing packing up their things for them pack it up up, up. brief conversation nynaeve tells Egwene that i don't think you should call me wisdom anymore we're both grown women we're probably not going to be back in Emmons Field for a long time just call me nynaeve <gasps> this is a, a changing in their relationship and that's a good thing the interchange is swiftly followed by a commotion caused by Rand, who apparently is trying to force his way into the women's apartments to speak to Egwene. Yeah, when Rand's invited or brought in, it's fine. When you try to force your way in, they don't like it. Egwene goes out there and, and finds out he didn't actually try to force himself in. All he was doing was he asked to speak with Egwene. The women at the entrance said basically she's busy. 
Okay, can you take this message to her? Let her know I need to speak with her. We'll see that she gets the message eventually. And and then he just started shouting, Egwene, Egwene, I got to talk to you. And they didn't like that. Yeah. So now Lord Agomar and Kajin are there, both holding Rand back in essence. He's not trying he's not, to force his way in. He's just in. standing there yelling it's over just people. There's a cultural difference here. And Egwene comes and the women are like, well, here is your woman. I'm sure she will deal with you now. They still think Egwene and Rand are basically a couple. And Egwene's like, okay, so apparently I'm supposed to put Rand in his place now. <laughs> come, I mean, she's been Rand, doing that all her life. Come, come talk with me. And they go for a little walk. And basically, Rand is here to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. She's going to train in Tarvalon to be an Aes Sedai, mm-hmm. and he's leaving to make sure he never has anything else to do with Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is it. This is meant to be a goodbye, not for now, for possibly ever. And Egwene, she's like, no, yes, I am going to be an Aes Sedai, but I'm going to find a way to help you. And they hug. Oh, chapter and that's ends. where the chapter ends. We got one last chapter for today called Leave Takings. Everyone's gathered in the courtyard now. Because everybody's leaving. Except the Aes Sedai. There's no women there yet. All their stuff is there. The women, you know, women are ready to go when they're ready to go. We've lived with your mom for a while. That is mom's prerogative. She is allowed to <laughs> do whatever is she so wants. so much better than she was years ago. Just because she chose to improve, I am not going to say I trained her in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> no. Good, because you didn't. No. So they're all there. It's a little chaotic. Soldiers, warders, horses, carts, and they're waiting for the women. Rand recognizes some of the Shinarans, spelled correctly this time, that they'll be traveling with. So Ragan, Masima, One-Eyed Uno. Woo! Love that name. Do you suppose it was his name before or after? Before. According to uh, Robert works. Jordan's notes, I understand that was his name. Well. It's just hilarious. Like, really? Really, Jordan? Uno. Spanish for one. One-eyed. Yeah, nice. Ingtar, of course, is there. And as Rand gets up into his saddle, he sees Loyal coming from the stables, riding his supersized mount. And Rand is surprised. He did not realize Loyal was coming along also. But Loyal, but Loyal couldn't pass this up. Right. You guys are Taviran. He's still trying to write a book. I want to keep watching history wrap itself around you. Well, and then there's the horn, too. I mean, that's kind of cool. Matt and Perrin ride up. Rand apologizes again for what he said previously. Matt, he glances at Rand and then mutters something under his breath to Perrin, and they both ride off over towards Ingtar instead without Uh, any comments for Rand. Probably something like, bloody lord-headed noble fool. Rand's like, I apologized again. What, What the heck? But loyal, he comments about Rand's coat not being exactly fit for traveling, and it sinks in. When Rand had made it back to his apartments... After being with the Amerlin, all his stuff had been packed up for him already. So he's still wearing the fanciest things. No, no, he he changed out of that. No, I think you're right. No, he's still wearing exactly what he saw. But he took off at least the golden cord and the menetherin pin. He doesn't have that on anymore. But yeah, he is still dressed really, really fancy. So I'm sorry for being all uppity, but I'm still dressed like a freaking lord. Yeah. So he's, he's like, I will change as soon as I can. That's right. At least he's going to try. But Rand then takes the moment to apologize to Loyal, because he'd also offended him. And Loyal is like, again, like a puppy. We said he was like a hurt puppy when he, you know, got yelled at. And now he's just like a puppy. Oh, it's okay. I'm happy again. (laughs) He forgives him right away. Lan steps up then and asks to speak with Rand alone for a moment. Rand says he's not sure he should listen. All that stuff with the Amerlin earlier didn't seem to do much good. But Lan's comment was, hey, 
When you can't win a big victory, take whatever small ones you can grab. And the implication is, hey, you know, you're, you're getting to go. Mm-hmm. And you're not gentle. You know, he's not saying any of that out loud, but there's an understanding there. But he says, I've got one last lesson to teach you before we part. Yep. Lan is handing Rand Chekhov's gun. Sheathing the sword. Crazy. That's what Rand thinks of it when he's told what, to, what it is. But at first he's like, okay, I've been working with the sword for weeks with you and you have one more sword move? It's like, just listen. There will come a time when you must achieve a goal at all costs. It may come in attack or in defense. And the only way you will be able to do it is to allow the sword of your enemy to be sheathed in your own body. <laughs> Lan, are you insane? Lan assures him when the time comes, you'll know it's the only choice. And if what you need to achieve is worth it, you'll do it. Just remember it. And Lan is off. Boy. By the way, that is a really important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. Which I think Jordan kind of made obvious when Lan comes up just to tell him this one last thing. It's yeah, like, it would have been a lot more subtle important. if it was like right at the end of the previous. Yeah. But but I also want to point something. out to our first time readers, it's going to be important more than once. More than once. <laughs> so this is a really significant thing. At least two very important times. At least. The Amerlin now shows up. Here the women are coming into the courtyard. It's time to get going. When the women show up, it's time to get going. She pauses to speak to one warder, and after some words, he jumps into a saddle, and he's gone. Rand's like, what is that about? But Loyal says, I heard someone was being sent to Eridaman today because of the trouble out on Almuth Plain, and the Amerlin wants word on that. But Loyal doesn't know why she'd send now, because they already knew about the trouble when they were in Tarvalin. They brought word with them about the trouble, so why would she send with someone now? Zach, what's changed? Why now? I don't know. I mean, maybe there was a message down in the dungeons about Toman Head that also concerned the Dragon Reborn. Mm-hmm. So, yep, she's following up on, on what Varen reported. Rand also knows. Not all the prophecy stuff, but he knows the part that only he saw. Toman Head, it's out on out Almuth by uh, Plain. Almuth Plain. It's never over, Althor. At this point, the Amerlin approaches Ingtar's party, which includes Rand and Loyal. Mm-hmm. She gives the group words of encouragement. She doesn't look at Rand any more significantly no. than anyone else. But it's a very powerful send-off kind of thing. She's saying, what you are doing is more important than anyone else. The Horn of Valir is critical. You've got to get it. It can't remain in the wrong hands. And she says something intriguing here that I want to dig into. The specific words she says is, those who come to answer its call the Horn of Valir, will come whoever blows it, and they are bound to the horn, not to the light. Now remember the understanding that you blow on the horn, it will call back the heroes of the ages. And what's significant about what she's saying here? Well, what she's implying is that anyone who blows the horn, good or bad, will be able to summon forth heroes of old to fight. That's what she's saying. She's letting everybody think we have to get it back because if the shadow people... I don't know if they were called shadow people. That sounds like something from a different story yeah, no, altogether. that's not correct. But... but if the dark friends, the people of the dark, the, the shadow spawn, if any of them blow the horn, the heroes will come and fight for them. Now, that's what everyone understands in what she said. But that's not what she truthfully, said. Truthfully, she didn't say that. She said they will come, whoever blows it. They are bound. She did say they are bound to the horn, not to the light. But that doesn't necessarily immediately say if someone blows it, then they have to do what whoever blows it says. You'd have to be treating the horn like a genie's lamp. 
and that's not but you know most people don't yeah most people don't know much about this i don't think it's too much of a stretch to say she thinks that's probably the case i don't think she does otherwise she would have said it point blank i think we see later on that she thinks that i don't think so throughout the series i think it's a misunderstanding it's a misunderstanding by the entire side of the light i don't think so but we'll talk about that later a few months (laughs) as she continues to speak rand he's distracted his attention wanders because he feels the watcher again those same eyes that were bugging him in the past when he was just wandering through the trying corridors. to pl- find a place to hide you know and yeah he feels somebody watching again he starts looking around and he twists in his horse's saddle and when he really twists around his horse kind of bucks a little and just at that moment an arrow comes <laughs> zipping past him right where he had been before the horse bucked and it strikes, just kind of zips right past the Amerlin's arm, kind of dinging her, and hits a person walking behind the Amerlin and pretty much kills him instantly. Mm-hmm. And chaos and the Amerlin and, you know, find him. But, Everybody uh, goes off to try to find the shooter. And, and Agomar is then on his knees before the Amerlin. Forgive me, we have failed you. You've been harmed. She's like, I've had more worse scratches getting hooks out of a fish. Yeah, it barely hit her. It mostly cut her clothes. And she also, in looking at Rand, acknowledges that she knows what he knows. That wasn't for me. That was for him. Uh-huh, and he just happened to uh-huh. move. Somebody to just tried to kill Rand. Lord Agomar wants all this departure to be delayed here. We need to deal with... There's an assassin. We need to solve this. And she's like, no. Swan ain't having that. Everybody's mission is more important than just wasting time looking into something. And especially the horn. You guys, go. Go, And pretty much right there, off they go. Yep. The Shannarans, Ingtar, Rand, Matt, Perrin, Loyal, they out. They're out of the keep. They're riding their horses through the city. Rand... He kind of is like near the back. He works his way up to the front by Ingtar, where he also finds Matt, Perrin, and Loyal riding in the front. As soon as he gets there, Matt and Perrin look at him. They fade back. They're like, we're not riding by you, buddy. It's like, oh, how long is this going to go on? <sighs> but then Ingtar, seeing Rand, says, a full count of the people in the keep has revealed just two people missing, Changu and Nidao. Those were the two guarding Pat and Fane when Rand visited with Egwene. The mm-hmm. two that were rude and offensive to them, they're gone. And Ingtar is shocked that these two are missing now. Because just a month ago, at Tarwin's Gap, at that battle, they defended Lord Agamar from Trollocs. They saved his life, but now apparently they're dark friends? They're the ones that must let the Trollocs in since they're the ones that are gone now. Everybody else is here, either alive or dead, but they're all accounted for. These are the only two missing. The shadow makes no sense. And then they're met as they move through the city by a new character who comes riding up to join them. A townsman, not a soldier. And Ingtar introduces him as Huron. He is a sniffer. <laughs> and Huron explains what a sniffer is. Zach, what do we learn? What is a sniffer? Basically, he has this weird talent to smell violence, mm-hmm. both being done and then when it has been done, it leaves a scent that clings to the area and the people. So he can smell violence that's been done in a place and then kind of track people based on their violence. The worse the violence, the worse and stronger the smell. He's going to be leading them to follow the Horn of Valir because obviously there was great violence done in taking it. But even more so... There are Trollocs. Yeah, because they expect dark friends, you know, with them. But dark friends don't smell any different than regular people. Yeah, it's just the violence, not the evil that he smells. Right, and that fades after a time. But Trollocs, 
and Mirdril, they are always so violent and nasty that their smell doesn't fade. Yeah. He can follow their trail for as long as it takes. They eat, sleep, and breathe violence, so you're always going to find Trollocs. So they exit the city, and using Hiran's ability, they discover that, oh, huh, it's not doing what Ingtar thought. They're not heading back to the Blight. They're heading south. Which is very strange. Yeah. Away from where the other forces of shadow should be. So they're going to follow the trail. And <laughs> a little funny bit with Huron. He can't help but call Rand Lord Rand. Yeah. I mean, he's dressed like Lord. He's riding in front with Lord Ingtar. Rand is even like, no, 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 just Rand. I'm fine. Just Rand. And it's you like got every, it, Lord Rand. every other time. Yeah, I will call you only Rand, Lord Rand. You know, And every other time he talks to him, he's like Lord Rand or look. Oh, uh, Rand. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. He just can't help it. He's just there to enforce that Matt and Perrin never forget. Yeah. Yeah, that won't help. You're right. Following that smell, he mentions the smell. Now, it's not really a smell. You know, there's not really something being smelled. It's it's something, this talent, that he's smelling an essence of evil, of violence. Mm-hmm. But he smells something worse than the Trollocs and Halfmen. It's he's not sure what it is. He's never another, smelled it before. But it's another it's really worse. vague description, but it's worse. What do you think that might be? I don't know. We've known a couple of things. I mean, Pat and Fane is supposedly important to the dark. Maybe he has something to do with that. We also know they took the dagger with them. I'm assuming it's probably not the Horn of Valir. That thing seems like it's supposedly yeah, a good thing. I wouldn't thing. think that smells bad, no. But, but you named a couple of good the things. The dagger itself, we got told, is like a big magnet beacon for Shadow Spawn. Maybe it just reeks of violence, too. Yep. All right, so we leave them following the trail south. Now we jump to a different point of view, a totally different location on the continent. To end the chapter, we're going to jump to Ilion. Where the hunt for the horn gets called from. Yeah, we've never been to Ilion before in these books yet. But we know of somebody who was headed to Ilion. Yes. And that's who we're joining. Captain Bale Doman. He do be down there. Yes, the captain of the spray. We last saw him delivering Rand, Matt, and Tom at Whitebridge. And he's now walking through the streets of Ilion, heading to a meeting. He was coming down here because he'd already heard mm-hmm. the, the hunt for the horn was being called. Yep. And there'd be Lots celebrations, there'd be money to, to be made. And there is. There's celebrations going on all around him. He's not looking like he's celebrating. He's no. looking tense and concerned. And his focus is just trying to keep his skin and save his ship. So something's gone wrong for Bale Doman. Let's see what we can learn. He arrives at an inn called Easing the Badger the appointed place for this meeting mm-hmm. as he enters the owner looks up gestures towards three men at a table in the corner so she clearly knows him and knows okay you guys are over there doman notes they are kyrianans by the way they're dressed and he thinks mm, kyrianans this time which implies there's been other others meetings. that weren't yes they offer him a ridiculous amount of money to sail east to mayen 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 Mayen. Mayen? I say Mayen. I think it's Mayen. Let's find out if it's in the glossary for this book. Pretty sure it's Mayen. He's going to look while I keep talking. So go to Mayen, pick up a passenger, and come back. We're going to give you this much money as down payment. You'll get more money in Mayen when you pick up the passenger, and you'll get the last of it when you return. And it's like enough. It's more than he'd make in three years normally. And he's thinking, okay, this is the fourth time someone has offered to get me to sail east. One other time to Mayan, a couple times to Tyr. Each time they've offered, 
I've turned them down. Each time they've offered, then the money amount has increased. So this is the most yet. Somebody really wants him sailing east. Man. Man. That's how I was saying it, isn't it? No, you were saying man. Oh, man. I said man. <sighs> One of those dang it, he's right moments. So it might be man. No, because, it's well, not it's, that. It's an E-H-N. It's man. But I think Okay. <laughs> think they really want him to go he doesn't know why but anyone willing to spend a ridiculous amount of money way more than they should to send you somewhere is sus he suspects they're dark friends probably and that everybody who's been trying to get him to go east is dark friends probably because he feels like he's been plagued by dark friends ever since he left saldea and he probably has (laughs) doman accepts the offer again he's turned down three previous ones but this one he says yes and understanding the requirement is that he's ready to leave by first light. So they leave him. They give him a letter to give to the portmaster in Mayen. And then he will give your passenger and you can come back. Mm-hmm. Well, so off they go. And as they leave, his second in command, Yarin, comes into the inn and shares that uh, another one of our men have been killed. It's like, ah, oh. Because the three previous times he turned down an offer, one of his men turned up murdered. Well, he's hoping, honestly, that this time he says yes, no one dies, but no, someone's dead again. Yeah. (laughs) But Yarin shares a little extra information on this. Not only was he murdered, someone really went at him with a dagger. Like, clearly tortured him to get him to tell them something. Lots of little cuts. So, they were looking for information. Also, the crew has reported that, yet again, some people tried to sneak onto the ship, and that's the third time in the last ten days. And Yarin's own room was tossed overnight. Somebody is searching for something, but he doesn't, he can't figure it out. And so Doman hears this and decides, fine, we're leaving. We're not leaving in the morning. We're leaving now, as soon as you can get all the men together. Or at least as many as you can find, and that's how much he feels about it. He's like... If Get as are, many as they can. As yeah. soon as we have enough to operate the ship, we're leaving. If they're out partying or drinking, they're getting left behind. Yarin gets to work. Going to find as much crew as he can. Hopefully all of them. And Doman heads back to the ship. Heads to his quarters. He takes that letter he's been given, which is sealed. And he, you know, does the hot knife and on the wax thing. You know, try to... I think everybody knows how to do this. So I don't know how these well, seals really are confidential. Everyone theoretically knows how to do this. <laughs> also, getting it open without damaging the seal, not too hard. Resealing it, much harder. He opens it up and inside he finds a message from the friggin' king of Kyrian declaring that the bearer of this letter is a dark friend and a thief. We ask that you immediately capture this person and hang him as a dark friend confiscate all his possessions and my men will be there as soon as you notify us in order to reclaim our stolen items great wow it's a trap obviously he's like okay so they're looking for something i have that's really obvious then from this letter Mm -hmm. he's like but what could i have so he thinks of what did i get up in saldea maybe and he's a collector of old stuff so he pulls out a whole bunch of old stuff stuff he's been collecting over the years it's left over from the age of legends so it's this stuff is like three thousand years old or more but the last thing he pulls out is something we recognize that Uh he has no idea what he has it's a little disc with the uh, ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai on it made of quendiar 
that unbreakable heartstone. And all Doman knows is it's heartstone and it's old. And he recognizes the symbol because he's a he's a student of history. He thinks it's really cool. And but which it point is really we realize it's a seal to the friggin' dark it's ones one of prison. The seals. That's what they're after. He he still doesn't know. His his man conf- comes back in, confirms. Okay, we've got all but three of the guys. I'm still chasing them down. He's like, nope, that's enough. Let's go. So off they go. They pull out, and once they're past the breakwaters, he says, "All right, west." Yeah, they told us we want to go east. east we're going, going west. We're going as far west as there's anything we can go to. Which in our case, along the coast, and is Tarabon going to be and Aridomon. There's yep. lots of problems there right now. But a careful man can always find trade. And it's going to be better than what's going to happen if we go east. End of chapter. Yeah. Doman finally feels good. This is this is funny, of course. And this is foreshadowing. <laughs> We're not going to tell you why, but he's like, finally, I feel safe. And he has no idea. <laughs> You'll find out. You'll find out. <laughs> All right. That is where we're going to end it for today. We are. Hope you're enjoying the ride with us here. We've got so much good stuff coming in this book yet. So I hope you'll stick around to hear more. If you haven't yet, please subscribe so that you don't miss any of our episodes. And we'd love to hear what you're thinking of them. If you have any comments, feedback, uh, your own ideas that you think contradict ours, we love hearing that. So you can put comments, reviews where you listen to your podcast mm-hmm. and, and give us a rating. Tell us how you think we're doing. But you can also send us direct email at fantasyfortheages at gmail.com. And you can, of course, interact beyond email, which is really just a stagnant, I send a message and it goes somewhere. There's all sorts of social media options you can connect with. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or coming and chatting with us directly on Discord. Yeah, if you're not familiar with Discord, it's really pretty cool. That's a great way to just geek out with mutual fandoms on all sorts of fantasy fiction with us on our discord server so yeah you'll see all the ways to connect like that down in the show notes and i did mention it at the beginning I'll throw it in one last time you could also always become a patron of our show so a link to our patreon page is there where you can connect and have extra benefits including being right here participating live during our live recordings mm-hmm. all that being said i've got nothing else great neither do i i guess We'll talk to you next time.